they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven into by the demon into the desert. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what, it, what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home. And declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, on Ash Wednesday, if you were able to join us, uh, I ask you a question. I ask if you would write on your card, where... Do you need healing this Lent? Where do you need healing this Lent? And I I said, if you didn't know that, maybe you could just be curious about something in your life. Uh, Something that seemed off or puzzling or inconsistent with God's ways. So ask you to start there. And if you weren't able to join us that night, would encourage you as we begin this Lenten journey... That's the question I want you to be wrestling with. Where is it that I need healing during this Lent? And you know, it may take you the whole time to figure that out, and that's okay, too. Well, I I thought that what we would do uh, this Lent was study healing in the Bible. And of course, that raises all sorts of profound theological questions Why does God heal? When does God heal? Why does God sometimes not heal? What's the relationship of faith and healing? What's the relationship of God's sovereignty and healing? And lots of other questions. And I used to know the answers to those questions. Um, 
I no longer do. I really don't. So if you are wanting a satisfying theological study this Lent, in which all your questions about healing will be answered, you'll, you'll be disappointed. Um, I do know that Jesus heals. I think that beautiful story that you shared, Liliana, is a picture of what Jesus does. The Greek word for healing can be, there's a couple. One of them, sozo, means save. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. And if you ask me for a short one-sentence definition of the story of the Bible, it would say God healing a broken world. That's what he's, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. And so I thought what, what might be fun to do uh, is just to sit with a story or two where Jesus heals and read it, listen to it, and see where you meet Jesus in it and what he has to say to you. Because we're all coming at different places, right? And what he has to say to me might be very different than what he has to say to you. So one of the things I'd ask for you to do this Lent is to take the verses that we're going over in church and spend a little time with them in your own personal prayer time. And you might even just kind of sit and use your imagination and sit in this story and imagine yourself in the story with Jesus and just see see where it goes. The setting of this story, we read a few verses earlier. It's when Jesus calms that great storm. It's a very famous uh, Bible story. He gets into the boat. They go across the lake. The Sea of Galilee is a wild sea. It's like in this big bowl. And so you could be out there on a perfect day. The winds can come up, and it can turn into just this horrible tempest. And they knew that. They were fishermen. And this happens one day. Jesus, of course, calms the waves. He rebukes the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, and they said to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Who then is this? (laughs) That's a good place to start our healing journey. Who then is this? Who do you think this Jesus really is? And one of the things I want you to do is is to feel safe enough to be honest with yourself about what you really believe. And there's no condemnation for you wherever you are with whatever you believe. I think a lot of us believe that Jesus, of course, we got the theology, Son of God, but basically he is an inspiring teacher, but we don't expect him to break the rules and get involved in the day-to-day problems of our lives. One of the things I love about our church is that we are a people of ideas and books, and we love to read, and we love to think and debate. But there can be a problem with that. Because if Christianity becomes a book club, and you know how much I love book clubs. I had four going on at one point. <laughs> I love book clubs. But what's the problem with the book, book club? Well, what did you think of it? Ah, I didn't like that. Well, what did you think of it? I love that. Did not like that. Well, how about you? I love that. That part, not so much. In a book club, 
you learn a lot, but you are also critically evaluating and thinking and processing what you're reading, and that's a good way to grow spiritually. And some of you, we're offering a couple of this Lent book, book groups. But you're still in control. You're still evaluating. You have a sense of detachment. And what I want to suggest to you is that we believe in a Jesus who is bigger than an idea. I'm not knocking my book clubs. Keep them up. But there's more. There ought to be a kind of holiness and awesomeness and mystery and wonder and reverent awe and maybe even a beating heart of getting into something you don't know where it's going and a sense of loss of control. And that's part of it, too. That's part of it, too. So maybe one of the things you could think about this is this week is, who then is this? Um, do I think Jesus can do this kind of thing today? Well, they decide to sail to the, to the other side of the lake. I was going to put a picture up uh, of the Sea of Galilee, but I, I didn't get that far. Um, the west side of the Sea of Galilee is very populated. It's where everybody lives and works and eats and where most of the disciples were from. The east side of the Sea of Galilee is very desolate. I, I got to study there one summer. I've told you that. I took a course on the topography of the Holy Land. And so you study a lot of geography and maps. And we spent some time on the east side. And even today, 2,000 years later, there's almost nobody on the east side. It's, it's wild. You would not want to be out there after dark. I mean, it is really, really desolate. And so Jesus takes these guys over to the place where nobody lives. And there's a little village there. It's down the road. But basically, not many people are there. It's a wild place. Now, this would be another sermon, but I, I kind of think it's curious that the day after all the disciples are almost killed in the storm by drowning, the Lord says, by the way, guys, hop back in the boat. We're going we're gonna to go again. There's another sermon there. So if you feel like you've just been through a storm and that certainly the Lord won't put you back in the boat again, think again, you'll get back in the boat again. So he puts them in the boat and they go to this other shore and we don't know, we don't know why particularly he's taking them to the other side. Why is he taking them to this wild and desolate place? It says that it's opposite Galilee. They were all from Galilee. Galilee was safe. Galilee was home. They knew the languages. They knew the restaurants. They knew the baker and the butler and the candlestick maker. And they liked being in Galilee. So Jesus says, okay, we're going to go opposite Galilee to a wild place, to a desolate place, over a raging wine dark sea that about killed you yesterday. Get in the boat. Here we go. Why? It's not strategic missionally. If you look at a map, it's not where you would go to plant a lot of churches. Few people there, not a lot. So why? 
The text doesn't say. But it makes me think of the great stories that we grew up reading as kids about, and C.S. Lewis particularly in the Chronicles of Narnia, about the kingdom beyond the sea, the land across the water, that place on the other side of the mystery. He's taking them into this other place that they might not have been before. And I, I, I kind of was praying about that today, and I thought, Lord, maybe, maybe our Lent could be like that for us. Maybe it could be a journey to the other side. Maybe a journey into a wild space where we meet God in a way that we've not met him before. Will you get in the boat for that? Will you leave the comfort of Galilee and set sail on the wine-dark sea? The other thing this makes me think about is, again, we don't know why Jesus does this, God seems to have just told him to go to that part of the desolate shore because there was something for him there. You know, he still does that. If you're awake and listening to the Spirit, he may call you to do things that aren't strategic, that don't make sense, that don't fit in with your daytimer. And you need to say yes. You need to go. Whatever it is, if you sense he's calling you, you say yes. And you go. That's how we join in God's mission in the world. Well, Jesus meets this man. And my version says he had Demons, yours might say, uh, was oppressed by or afflicted by a demon. And he meets him as soon as he gets out of the boat. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. So the very second he gets off the boat, he meets this man. Now, if you go all the way back to the first time they found the use of the word demon in the Greek, it means two things to disrupt and to tear apart. And I don't really want to get into a big discussion tonight about the nature of a demon and the difference between a demon and a mental illness and what's what's this and Satan and demon and all of that. What I think is clear from the text, and I think we all can agree with this, is that there are powers at work in the universe that seek to disrupt and destroy us. I don't know a lot more than that. But I know that much is true. And this poor man is being disrupted and destroyed by this darkness. And and he becomes a kind of symbol for a wounded humanity. It says he had worn no clothes. So he is vulnerable. Uh, He's very exposed. He's at risk. 
And in biblical languages in today, it means he's ashamed. Remember back in Genesis 1, they were naked and not ashamed. What's the first thing that happens after the fall? They become ashamed. So whatever has happened, the, the, the darkness has, has pushed this man to a place of great shame. He's running around in a, in a world where every inch of you is covered because the body was seen as, as, as shameful. He's naked. So this man is, is ashamed. you need healing from shame this, this Lent? You know, this guy hears voices, right? We'll see in, in weeks ahead that these demons, whatever they are, they, they talk. They have this dialogue with Jesus. And so you can bet they had that same dialogue in his head, right? I think a lot of us Hear voices. Not the voices that make us think we're, you know, they're just kind of quiet in our head. We're so used to them. We think that it's just normal. But the voices are saying things that aren't particularly helpful. And we're so used to listening to them that we just think it's part of the noise in our head. I'm not lovable. I'm a fake. I'm a fraud. My marriage will fail. I'll always be lonely. If anyone really knew me, they'd reject me. Those are the voices of shame. When I take my annual retreat to the monastery, I usually try to pick one theme to study. Um, This year I'm going the first week after Easter, and it's sin. That should be fun. Last... last, (laughs) I don't know why, but I just feel led to do that. Um, last year was shame. And I went out there, as, you know, I had this big stack of books. I, about the fifth book I'm reading, and, and the reason was because the more I, as I walk with folks and we talk about souls and spiritual life and do spiritual direction, this kind of stuff, shame just comes up all the time. The voices of shame are just everywhere. And so I thought, I need to read some books about shame. So I'll never forget, this was a powerful moment. I was, I was uh, reading one particular book, and I was sitting in the little cell out there in the desert, and all of a sudden I realized, wow, you still really struggle with shame. And I've got really good theology about that. I, I know better. And what I realized was, is that even at this point, as old as I am, my self-worth and self-concept and inner peace is directly tied to how well the church is doing. I will feel somewhat bad tonight going home because the pews aren't filled. I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you that. That's not good theology. God's in charge, he builds the church. Be faithful, it's not really up to who comes. I've got a voice in my... (laughs) Now they're going to be throwing things? I mean, it's a tough job. You don't know. I've got a voice in my head that says, when you preached to 2,000 in your 30s, you were more of a man than when you preached to 100 in your 50s. 
That's probably not God, right? Probably not God? Okay, that's not God. <laughs> okay, that's not God. So maybe one of the things that can happen this Lent for you is maybe some of those shaming voices that you've just accepted as normal. Maybe you can kind of call them out and, and, and Jesus can heal you. By the way, one of the things that I found, I came back and I called a couple guys together and I said, hey, you want to talk to me about this a little bit? There's just, there's just something really powerful about sitting down with other brothers or sisters and admitting your shame. The demons don't like that. They hate vulnerability, confession, repentance, honesty, and the light. Well, the next thing we see is this, this, this poor guy. He doesn't live in a house. I have a friend who's from an Arab country, and I was asking him about homelessness in his homeland, and he said, we don't have it. And I said, what do you mean you don't have it? He says, well, we don't have homelessness in Arab countries because it's part of our culture that a family always takes care of whoever, and so they don't live in the streets. And so that was true in the ancient world, too. So this guy was so much in pain, so hurting, so needy, so broken, that his family finally just put him out of the house. He was too much. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like your problems are too much for other people? Like you're a burden. Like they don't want to be bothered. Do you? Do you feel isolated and alone? You know, here's, here I, how I can tell is that most of us do struggle with this, is that when we ask for help, we end it with what? I, I'm so sorry to bother you, but... Maybe you're sitting here tonight just thinking, you know, I am just, I'm just too much for other people. I think that's what this guy felt. He lives among the tombs. Wow. The living have no place for him. He feels more at home among the dead. And as his hope slips away, he is drawn towards the darkness. He feels dead, so he lives with the dead. Does part of you feel dead? Is part of you pulling away from life-giving things? Do you find yourself drawn towards darker things? Maybe that's where you need healing tonight. 
And then we'll see this a few verses later. It says, he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. He would break the, the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So this guy, he feels powers out of his control that surge through him and make him do things that he does not want to do. Do you ever feel that way? And he is in shackles. He is in bondage. And that can come many ways. We can be shackled by twisted beliefs, by oppressive systems, by addictions, even by pain and suffering. So the man in our story is a symbol of human suffering. How are you like him? How are you like this man? Well, in the weeks to come, we'll watch how Jesus interacts with him and sets him free. For now, I want to just notice how his healing journey begins. We don't know a lot of details. Kind of have to fill in the gaps with some imagination. So this guy meets Jesus on the shore. And I had always thought that the demons set this whole thing up, right? Because the next verse says that uh, Jesus had, he cries out and fell down before him with a loud voice. What what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torment me. Who's talking there? (laughs) It's not the guy. (laughs) It's the demons. And so I, I just kind of imagine this. Okay, this poor guy wakes up in the graveyard. And he's got all these voices in his head that are telling him to kill himself and run out in the desert and hurt himself and all these terrible things. And I know this, the last thing a demon would ever want to do is go down to the beach and meet Jesus. That's the last thing. And so somehow this poor guy is in the graveyard, all these voices tell him to destroy himself, and something happens with all this resistance that the guy makes the way to the beach to meet the Son of God. Something's going on there. He pushes through the resistance to meet the healer. And I think there's a lesson there. I know this to be true. If you pursue spiritual freedom, if you pursue healing, if you pursue wholeness, psychological, emotional, physical, any kind, cultural, social, any attempt to pursue wholeness will be met with resistance. I guarantee it. Your head will be filled with voices telling you to turn back. I've seen this happen again and again. Someone makes a breakthrough in their spiritual life. They begin to understand something. They're set free from something. They're really moving and growing. Something is shifted. There's an openness to God. You've sensed the Holy Spirit move powerfully. 
And then almost immediately, usually within an hour, the voices start again. They tell you that it didn't happen, that it's hopeless, that you should know better, that you were too vulnerable, that you were stupid for even trying, that you ought to flee out into the desert. Go back to your chains. Go back to the graveyard. Beloved, I suspect that some of you right now are feeling that same resistance. In this Lent, Jesus wants to meet with you in a special way. He wants you to remove a few things from your life so you can spend a little more time with him so he can love on you. And that's what he, he doesn't want to spank you. That's what I don't like about some of the language of Lent. Let's go get spanked by Jesus. <laughs> no. He wants to hug you. He wants to hold you. He wants to love you. So I don't know what it looks like for you, but but, but get to the beach, friend. Just rearrange your life somehow and get to the beach. Get to Jesus Christ. It's Lent. Go nuts a little about this. It won't kill you to do a little more religious stuff. (laughs) Trust me, most of you are not (laughs) over-religious. Okay? (laughs) Just do something a little bit more. Like, come to church every week during Lent. Ah, wait, 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 no, no, legalism. No, 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 no. Do something. Spend time with God every day. Stay in the word. Come to your small group. Go to some of the book groups that we've set up. Find a friend. Hey, let's get coffee once a week and talk about our journey into healing, what we're getting out of these texts. Uh, go to the, the Monday night Bible study. Go to the, you know, there's all, so many things you can do. We've got this wonderful Sunday school class. Blair and Debbie Wright are starting a, a wonderful series about godly conversations and Go to that and come back at night. Won't kill you. Generations of Christians went twice on Sunday. I know. That's a radical idea. Won't kill you. Uh, maybe you're dreaming. Write down your dreams. Call me. We'll get together to talk about it. Whatever it is, get to the beach. Because that's where Jesus wants to meet you. Let's pray.